Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today and thank you for taking time to be with us as we help public, private, and nonprofit organizations tackle important broadband issues uh, and, and in the effort to get the technology everywhere it needs to be. Now, anyone who has uh, followed this show and my writing on broadband know that I'm a uh, ceaseless advocate for planning. Uh, in fact, one of my uh, teachers back at the uh, high school I went to used to always say, proper previous planning prevents pitifully poor performance. And that was kind of his mantra. And as I gotten into, uh, into broadband, I have to say that you can't argue with the wisdom of that particular saying. So now as we get near the uh, go-live date for a number of these projects, we're really starting to find out, you know, who has done their planning well, and, and we're also getting some warning signs that some folks may or should have done some better planning. Uh, it's never too late, hopefully, for some folks. But, but the key, though, is that everyone should really be um, getting focused on how well they put together their plan uh, before they step off the uh, project. And today, to help us along, we are uh, we have uh, three guests. Um, Kate McMahon, who has worked with the Montana Broadband Program to conduct regional planning meetings throughout the state um, and develop action plans. Uh, plus, she has also been part of the project team for the broad mapping projects in Montana and uh, North Dakota. Um, we have Ron Thomas, who is the chair at Pawnee River Greenway and has been elected a fellow of the American Institute of Certified Planners. And our third guest is Charles Kaler, who is on the faculty of the Department of Geography and Urban Studies at the University, back in my hometown, Philadelphia, where he also serves as Director of Spatial Analysis uh, Laboratory. So welcome to the show today, and I'm very happy to have you on board. I should probably go around and let everyone really give a little bit more detail about um, what you do as a planner and how your uh, intersect with broadband uh, has, has uh, you know, been shaped by uh, your, your planning expertise. And we'll start with Kate, since this is sort of the more, almost the more obvious uh, point here. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about what's going on with Montana. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, just a little bit about my background is I um, do have a planning degree. I've, I've worked as a city planner, um, you know, on various types of planning projects in, in county and municipal um, planning departments um, since 1980. Um, Fifteen years ago, I uh, got a second degree in information technology, um, so I sort of combined those disciplines to work with communities to plan for telecommunications and broadband infrastructure. So right now I'm working as a consultant and I work on different projects, not only in Montana, but I've worked in Colorado and Wisconsin. Um, and, and what I've found um, you know, over the years as communities have done these planning, um, the drivers have, um, that I've worked with have tended to be economic development, you know, concern about attracting companies, retaining companies, um, you know that that may be leaving because they don't have adequate you know access um, you know to broadband, and that's really been sort of the the driving force. So I've worked a lot with economic development um, officials 
and not a lot with planning officials. So one of the reasons that we started working on, Ron and Charlie and I started working on this um, report was to engage, um, you know, city planners in this issue because broadband really is another infrastructure just like roads, um, you know, water and sewer that a community has to have if it's going to be a, um, you know, compete uh, for businesses and, and provide services. And we really wanted to put this on the radar screen of city planners. Excellent. Uh, Ron, a little bit about, uh, you know, what you're involved in as pertains to broadband. Um, I have a fairly um, a general background in planning, but for the last decade or two, my real focus has been on regional planning, which means you're working not with just one uh, government, but multiple governments at the at multiple cities and county levels. Um, for um, a lot of the last 10 years, I was the director of the regional agency um, in the Chicago region, which included um, 272 mayors, if you can get your head around that. Um, and the regional planning agencies are the ones for, uh, better or worse, um, are responsible for planning our infrastructure systems, uh, uh, by and large, transportation, uh, water, uh, parks, and open spaces at the at that multi-jurisdictional level. Um, I did, um, in addition to my um, core degree uh, related to planning, also did a, a, a graduate program in communications way back uh, some time ago in Syracuse. Not the technology, but more the content, editorial, advertising, things like that. So I've always been interested in. The communication, so I just naturally tried to keep up and found myself surrounded by um, a lot of uh, expertise um, in the Illinois Chicago region, uh, like uh, like Charles and Kate, that were really uh, advocating for um, state of the art um, uh, technology and, and uh, high speed broadband. And I kept looking around the room, and I was the only planner there. So actually, I think. The discussion today is a, it needs to be a two-way learning street between the people that have developed the expertise and the new technology and the, uh, the planning profession that um, uh, are connected to the systems that and the resources and, um, and the governments that support and sustain um, our, our, our infrastructure. And I think all three of us are big advocates represented in the publication we just did that that broadband technology is an essential part of our um, of our, our uh, infrastructure if we're going to be um, uh, economic, economically successful as well as um, um, uh, socially um, successful in our community building. Mm -hmm. And and Charles, give us a little bit about your uh, your world there in broadband. Sure. Um, like Ron and Kate, I have a professional degree in planning, um, and since then I've also uh, become an academic. Uh, so I, I approach this question in, in two different ways. One is my training is, I guess you'd say, relentlessly pragmatic. We're really interested in how these things get built and how, we, uh, how planners can inform that process. And like Ron and Kate suggested, in, in large measure, that's it's been a discovery that, that a lot of these issues, a lot of the issues that pertain to uh, broadband and communications uh, technologies are, are off the tableau of, of concerns of, of planners generally. And then in my, in, um, in my academic side, I've been uh, uh, working with several different areas, um, uh, Kentucky 
as well as Philadelphia and a few other areas where I've been looking at the spread of broadband networks. I've been really interested in, in the data made available by the uh, National Broadband Map and, and what that can tell us and what its limitations are. Interesting. So I, um, I read the, uh, the report that you guys did recently, and uh, one that was interesting to me is that um, there's this, I don't know, call it category called city planners, but even though many people may be involved in city planning, does just about every city or sizable city have a department of city planning, um, or is, is it something that's more you know likely to define in a larger city than a smaller city? I guess if I'm you know, a stakeholder that's or a provider uh, that's interested in trying to bring broadband into a community, you know, is there an identified source or how do I find city planners? Typically, um, most cities and even small cities have. If they they have the larger cities will have a city planning department, um, and I would say even medium sized cities. And when you talk get down to rural communities, small and rural towns, they'll probably have a staff person or a couple staff people that are the city planners, and they might be housed maybe in the public works department. Um, but for the most part, if you went to any municipal website. Um, or county website, you could find a planning department. Sometimes it's called, you know, community development department. But um, you know, planning and zoning, um, is, you know, that is a um, for the most part a separate, you know, standalone department, um, you know, within a city organization. Um, and I just wanted to piggyback on Ron's comment that that this needs to be a two-way street because not only have planners not traditionally dealt, you know, with broadband infrastructure questions, but um, the providers and people who are planning the, the broadband networks typically haven't interfaced with planners well. Um, when I was at a conference, broadband communities conference um, in Dallas just a few months ago, it, there were no planners in the room. These were providers and developers of um, of broadband networks, and I asked them how many of them have ever approached a municipality and said, you know, we want to install this infrastructure, um, you know, we want to put conduit in the ground, but they've heard, well, we can't do that because we don't have any policy for it, or that's not the way we've done it before, um, and everybody raised their hands. Um, and so what happens is, instead of doing the advanced legwork to work with the communities and make sure they have the policies and procedures in place, they wait until they're ready to get it done, and they get very frustrated because they feel like they're roading, you know, coming into a roadblock because the city hasn't dealt with this before. So it, so it really is a two-way street that needs to happen. You're saying that people need to engage these planning departments in whatever way they are manifest in a county or a city early on in the process as opposed to getting down the road and then someone sort of looks and goes, oh, well, there's a planning department. Yeah, rather than waiting until they're ready to, to get pull permits or do construction, and that's the first time they interface with the planning department. And um, like I say, they, there aren't the procedures neither side is familiar with it. So they really need to, like you say, engage the planners, um, you know, now, early on, and start talking to them. We're, you know, we're going to be coming into your communities. We're going to be doing these things. You need to be prepared for this. Mm-hmm. Um now, where does the role between um, city planners and economic development agencies either overlap or complement? 
This, this is, I'll uh, jump in on that for a second. Uh, uh, all three of us have, have um, experienced that area, but it, it really depends. It, it is, I'll say, all over the uh, all over the map, literally from coast to coast. In some uh, some places, you'll find a um, a real close uh, partnership with the economic development um, organizations, agencies in a, a municipality, uh, city. Uh, and the planning department, other places, they uh, actually can be um, operating uh, at, at cross purposes. Um, economic development uh, people may, in some cases, want any kind of business to come in, no matter what, and and uh, wherever they want to locate. While the planning department's advocating a um, a green a kind of um, clean business that's that's located on transit in the urbanized areas and all of that. So. Um, uh, oftentimes, um, and and economic development um, is not always a part of city government. Uh, like here in Chattanooga, the economic development activities are pretty much handled by the Chamber of Commerce as a um, as a as a business um, a leadership organization. So, it's um, there. There's no consistency there at all. Hmm. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Charles. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was going to say is that the if we look at broadband as yet another infrastructure, uh, um, in the past, economic developers or boosters of cities um, have been at the forefront of expanding other infrastructures, and, and broadband's no different. If we look at the last 10, 15 years, a lot of uh, organizations that have um, been involved in broadband planning um, for uh, cities and regions, um, as well as states, have been uh, economic development agencies uh, as as much or even more than um, uh, conventional planning organizations. Okay, but it seems which is good. I mean, that definitely makes a lot of sense, and I'm sure that uh, in the most um, oh forward-thinking communities, there is probably a natural relationship in general between the uh, planning groups and the um, economic development folks, how are that economic development exercises handled, whether it's the, the chamber or, or an agency or a department. Um, and I know that in Chattanooga they are actually very good how well they have coordinated various uh, um, elements, the, 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 the planning side folks, the economic development side folks, and so forth, um, is that the norm, or is every city going to need to, not every city, but, you know, do a lot of communities need to work on that planner, economic development professional relationship? Um, yeah, I think it's yeah. always, uh, you know, building those kinds of relationships is always important regardless of whether it's, you know, broadband issues, recruiting businesses, um, you know, th th those part of the planning process um, is you know for the city to identify the whole wide range of stakeholders in the community and and get their their input um, on this and um, like Ron said it it really does vary from community to community so one of the challenges with broadband as opposed to um, you know your traditional infrastructure like road waters and sewers is um, Typically, cities aren't the owner and operator of the broadband systems. They're private providers. You do have some cities that have been building some networks, but they're still a very small percentage of what's happening. So it's just a different animal that the city has to work with, and they really need to 
do some education, you know, um, on with their local officials about um, why it's important that they be involved, and then you know make a concerted effort to engage the various stakeholders, economic development um, officials, um, service providers, um, you know, your major users, um, you know, the, what the um, National Broadband Plan calls anchor institutions like hospitals, schools, universities. Um, they need to bring them all to the table to talk about this, and that's a little bit different way to plan for the infrastructure than it has been in, in you know, what the city is used to, to doing. Mm-hmm. Any, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, this I'm just, I'd like to add, um, Ron, uh, again, that um, a couple other uh, uh, areas that I think in general planners are of concern with and can be helpful with that um, the um, uh, communication and broadband technology people um, can look to them for uh, is that is that there is, I think, a built-in um, mission and um, awareness in, 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 among planners for social equity and and um, and um, you know service for everyone. So it it has been some instances where broadband um, has been looked at in relation related to the digital divide in urban areas or underserved rural areas that aren't commercially viable. Um, that has been, um, I think, uh, oftentimes planners or, or related um, agencies that have advocated for doing that. The other area that that, that planning is usually responsible for, uh, Kate referred to it in her work, is uh, which I, I think all of us on that did the publication agree on that um, the broadband is again. It's a it's a public infrastructure like um, uh, energy, like water, um, like transportation, and we need to know where it is to know who has it and who doesn't have it in order to fill the gap. So that data collection and mapping is a uh, is an essential function that um, that it will be the planning uh, departments and agencies that uh, that pick up uh, with and for um, uh, broadband systems. Uh, let me pose a, a question here. Uh, every year I do a survey of economic development professionals nationwide and what, uh, to get their take on uh, broadband, what's needed, what's being done, and so forth. One of the interesting statistics that came out last year showed that um, to the question, do they have or have they integrated broadband into their economic development plans? Are they, you know, are they, um, you know, have they already done so? Are they planning to do so? There was a higher percentage of rural respondents who were um, incorporating broadband into their upcoming into their upcoming plans than in urban areas. Do you see something similar? Happen, do you see that kind of similar happening in the uh, area of city planners? And if so, you know, do you? You want to sort of guess or or talk about how or why there's a higher level of interest in rural areas than in urban areas to do the planning for this kind of thing. Yeah, um, I yeah, I'd, I'll jump in here and then let Ron and and Charlie respond. Cause most of the communities, I, I live in Montana. Uh, most of the communities that I deal with are are rural areas, and I think one of the reason it's um, 
more of a priority for them is because they tend to be somewhat underserved, um, lagging behind in services. And mm-hmm. so they're um, addressing this because they they need to uh, coordinate with the providers to sort of catch up. Um, and it's that digital divide that Ron talked about. And, and rural areas, just because of the economics, you know, there's not as many people there. And this is, um, you know, the the providers uh, might be able to, to um, put deploy services, broadband services in rural areas, but either it's not going to be cost effective or they're just not going to get the profit margins that they do in the urban areas. So they tend to, you know, put them last, um, you know, on the areas that will receive services. So I think that's why, that, that's my guess why you're finding this more um, in the rural plans is because they need to be more proactive um, to get the services that are already in the urban areas. Mm-hmm. I, this is Ron. I uh, completely agree, and I, I have a story I'll tell real quick about um, the um, maybe the, the lack of that kind of uh, planning in the urbanized areas. And um, we'll go on name, but uh, when we were trying to begin to develop some um, uh, technology and broadband mapping in uh, the Chicago region, this was almost uh, about ten years ago now, um, very early on some of the economic development officials for the city of Chicago said, well, we've got uh, the, the, um, the backbones coming in along the rail lines. That's where we want to put our industry and our major uh, economic development. Uh, it's already there. We know it's there. And we'd rather not map it and let anybody else know what it, uh, where it is. Um, so a lot of times up until now, uh, in the urban areas compared to the rural, as Kate said, um, it was there related to economic development. Now, it wasn't in the inner city. It wasn't even in some of the affluent neighborhoods that weren't near rail lines. Um, but as far as the economic development activity in, in the major urban areas, it's often where it's needed. Mm-hmm. And it's been taken for granted. Right, right. And I would add, um, and your question, uh, Craig, was about your observation that, that economic development people seem to be driving this in rural areas and our planners uh, driving it as well in rural areas, and I'd say probably not as much. Um, as, as Kate said, there tend to be far fewer professional planners in smaller jurisdictions. Often uh, the smallest jurisdictions will, um, I guess you'd call it outsource or uh, contract with, with uh, private sector organizations for basic planning functions. So there isn't necessarily a planner on staff always who is um, keeping their finger on the pulse of broadband. To the same extent mm-hmm. that economic development professionals, they realize that you know, in the areas that are, say, hemorrhaging their best and brightest to the cities and suburbs, um, they have to do something about it, and broadband is going to be at least part of the solution. Um, they realize what the stakes are, and it's part of their job. Mm-hmm. That uh, that you did the um, one bro- uh, planning and broadband and infrastructure policy and sustainability. Um, first off, just uh, wonder if you can just give a little bit of overview of how you conducted the research. But then, you know, what are the top I don't know three or four findings that you came out with at the conclusion of this? Um, you know, as far as doing the research, um, we. Um, as a team, and since we were all, you know, co-authors in this, 
um, sat down, you know, early on in the process and identified, um, you know, the topic areas that we wanted to cover um, and then um, um, identified, you know, potential case studies in there, um, you know, other research work that we knew was going on or people that we knew were involved in this area. Um, and then we, um, you know, amongst ourselves, um, you know, sort of split up the topics and um, were the primary authors of, of different chapters in there. Um, as part of the, the process to develop the report, we did identify, I think it was um, 10 or 12, um, you know, peer reviewers. And as in, early on in the process, we conducted a webinar with them um, to sort of talk about the issues and find out, um, you know, what their experiences had been and what resources they could direct us to. And we circulated among those um, peer reviewers, and some of them were planners, some of them had built community networks, um, some of them might be listening to the show <laughs> as we speak. Um, you know, but we sort of relied on that group um, to give us input on the various drafts as well. And, and Ron and Charlie, I'll let, let you chime in and, um, you know, expand on that. I think that, that kind of pretty well covers it. That peer group was really, really important, and uh, then they helped us from their own individual um, uh, contacts to develop a, a really, uh, a, you know, great network of, of expertise and, and uh, experience um, and educators uh, out there. Uh, I will say that going back to the, the planning world needing to know more from the broadband and the technology uh, world what's going on and why it's important that um, that uh, our, our network was much heavier, it's more heavily populated by people with the um, broadband expertise than the planning expertise. I will also tell a story out of our professional school that we ran into a number of our colleagues and friends and leading planners who um, were uh, anti-broadband planning because they saw it as a, a sprawl-inducing tool um, that lets people live farther and farther from urban centers. We, of course, could go on and on why we have a different point of view, but there were actually some some major sentiments within the planning community that um, a broadband like <laughs> the inter uh, that like big highways are are. Um, um, have a negative impact on the world we live in. Uh -huh. and, and one of the ways that, uh, you know, it was actually good to hear that comment because we knew that was a concern that we should address, and we do have a whole chapter in the report called uh, Broadband in, in, in the Environment. Um, and it talks about, you know, the beneficial aspects of broadband and how it can promote, um, you know, sustainability goals. And I, so I think... Um, you know, we were a little surprised when we first heard that comment, but then on the other hand, it, it highlighted for us, and we knew that we needed to address that. So we do have a whole chapter, um, you know, on that issue. And Interesting. Uh, Charles, uh, one thing that we discussed early on was the fact that broadband is a real key to the sustainability of places broadly construed, so economic well-being, environmental well-being, everything from smart growth to uh, environmental monitoring to <clears throat> um, economic viability are linked to uh, broadband. And so we sort of took that as our starting point and said, so what are the 
what are the limitations to planning as it exists in this domain? And for the most part, local planners, regional planners, haven't been at the discussion with respect to telecommunications originally and now broadband communications, um, maybe because of scale, maybe because these systems expand at really large uh, scales and, and the where and how localities should intervene is kind of up for grabs. And that's one of the reasons we included uh, a section on, on um, uh, strategic points of intervention. So how can uh, local planners engage this question? Um, and that, that became the starting point for the broader discussion about the implications of broadband for these different domains of places and uh, the fact that planners have a stake in this. Yeah. And, you know, something I want to touch on, too, is, you know, we've talked about some of the challenges. You know, this is typically not an infrastructure that planners have dealt with It's because it um, tends to be more privately owned rather than, than public, um, you know, public ownership. Um, but an, another, um, you know, challenge is that it's, it, does, it, it crosses municipal lines. So it's not just a local issue. It's a, it's a regional issue. And so getting, um, you know, when planners do address this, they need to look oftentimes not only to economic development officials, but they need to look beyond their borders and, and what's the best regional approach for this. And we try to include case studies within the report, um, you know, how, how, how some regions and communities have tackled those um, challenges. And also uh, we, uh, I think, uh, try to remind our planning colleagues that a number of our infrastructure systems are not um, uh, public like our road system. Uh, by and large, um, uh, oftentimes uh, water water supplies are private companies that provide uh, provide water. Uh, power companies, as you know, or energy companies are all over the board, being private to, to, to quasi public. Um, and the, uh, the the metaphor I, I try to use to make the point to planners that there is a role needs to be a role for planning and the public sector in partnership with the private providers is that of our national railroad system, which I think everybody agrees is a real um, uh, travesty related to advanced countries uh, around the world with their uh, their high-speed rail and, and, and um, uh, a serv level of service in their railroads. Um, and basically, the uh, the point I've used is that it seems we're developing our broadband um, system um, in the 21st century the way the same way we uh, developed our railroad system in the 19th century by completely leaving it to um, to private providers um, that oftentimes are very um, limited in their geography and and uh, and interest in service and uh, and and understandable you know profit uh, uh, motive. That, um, that all we're advocating is this this really needs to be a partnership mm -hmm. so so we're you're being, in, in, a, in a manner of speaking. I don't know if everybody else did. I lost you. Yeah, sorry, Craig. I didn't. I didn't catch that question. Oh, sorry. So I'm saying that it, what I hear is that um, we have this 21st century technology, but we are approaching its deployment or its development with a very last century mindset. 
seems that way sometimes. I think that's fair to say. I would say. actually agree with that to a certain point. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, that, uh, I think the... the uh, so one, one of our colleagues, uh, it might have been Joe Mambretti in uh, Northwestern University, um, um, you know, has, um, has, has, has made the case that um, one of the uh, situations is that um, compared to starting a, a new infrastructure system that uh, understandably, a lot of our our providers um, have have uh, started when the technology was a lot slower and, and uh, less bandwidth with uh, using copper lines, and have have um, also been reticent to um, make the investment. Although I think that's kind of changing now, up to up till now, to uh, put put the fiber, uh, especially at the level of fiber, to um, every uh, door and, and business. Um, you know, in the country. The other, the uh, one other point I'd like to make um, that we know from our planning colleagues is that up until now, up until very, very recently, the only thing a lot of planners knew about um, the technology was uh, getting caught in the crossfire between um, their their citizens and um, and then. Uh, Usually, cell tower companies and um, and and trying to um, mitigate the visual impact of cell towers. They really saw themselves as trying to um, um, you know disallow or disguise uh, uh, cell towers, and that was the limit of, as they saw it, of their responsibility related to technology. Mm -hmm. So, what are some steps to counter? Uh, this sort of old world approach. I mean, in some in some states, you have laws that make it difficult for uh, local governments to participate. Uh, in other places, it's more of a you know developing the relationship or finding the right partner. Smaller rural communities, it's kind of hard to find partners. But you know, if you were to kind of give maybe a one, two, three sort of uh, top solutions or approaches. How do you how do you close this gap between um, too much private sector involvement and the right level of private public partnership? Yeah, and maybe we can go around and, and each sort of offer you know like a, a primary suggestion. But my background um, has been working with the cities, and um, uh, every every municipality pretty much has something called a comprehensive plan or a you know city master plan. It looks 20 years into the future, and those plans, um, you know, not only sort of start, you know, here's where we're at now, but here's where we want to be in 20 years, and then they have goals and objectives on how to, you know, get that down the road. And that planning document is important because it establishes the foundations for communities to um, institute the policies, um, you know. Uh, establish the partnerships. Um, it's an educational tool so that public officials look to that comprehensive plan to identify you know, what the priorities are the communities uh, and the communities are and what they need to address. Um, it's, it's different than an economic development plan because it's officially, it, it's typically mandated um, that or um, you know, provided for in the state statutes that municipalities need to have these comprehensive plans. So it has 
some legal force to it. Um, like I said, every community has it. And then it's officially adopted by the city council, um, you know, after a series of public hearings. So, that, so the comprehensive plan is an important document that pretty much every municipality has. It, it might be called different things in different places. In Montana, we call them growth policies. Um, like I say, sometimes they're master plans. But I, I would advocate that every city needs to have a, um, you, you know, they have an infrastructure element or chapter and which addresses the major infrastructure. Either within that chapter they have to have a special section dedicated specifically to telecommunications and broadband. And that's, to me that is the starting point. They need to get this into that comprehensive plan so that it, provides them the legal foundation for adopting codes and regulations, for adopting policies, and it makes this a priority for the city. Um, you know, otherwise, you can go to the city and ask them to do these things, and they will say, well, what mandate do we have to address this issue? If it's in their comprehensive plan, the mandate comes from that city comprehensive plan. So I'm a real advocate of every city should go back and review their comprehensive plan and start putting this information and general policies in there. And then from that, they can approach the providers, approach the economic development um, agencies and start adopting policies. But if they don't have it in their comprehensive plan, they don't have that mandate and the foundation to do that. Hmm. You can tell I feel strongly about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I absolutely agree. And actually, my colleagues might want to add uh, a, a couple as we go around here. Um, on a, one of the panels that uh, we did at the uh, Planning Association conference uh, last spring, uh, Kate invited the uh, IT uh, director from Portland. So if anybody wants to check a good example of an IT broadband component in a comprehensive plan, uh, Portland, Oregon is a good place to start. And my colleagues probably have other other good examples. Um, yeah, I'd like to just sort of mention, I absolutely agree with um, with what Kate said, and I think that's the core um, and the central concept uh, that people should focus on. But I'd like to uh, mention maybe a, a, a micro and a macro a surround to that, is that uh, uh, like folks here on, the, on your program, the people that understand the, the new technology, its importance, um, whether they are a, a, a heavy user like a, one of those target institutions or a um, innovative provider or in a research position university is to um, educate your elected officials and uh, your your planning and public works people on um, how, how you can work together around uh, 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 developing the uh, the broadband capability that's sort of local and educational the other thing um, to the to the good is the u s Department of Transportation has some actually good guidelines on why and how um, uh, broadband should be considered uh, along with um, uh, the, the transportation corridors and uh, transportation development. You know, the one-ditch theory, when you dig it up, uh, go ahead and put fiber while you're putting other pipes in the ground, too. Um, but one of the things that a number of us have talked about with the, the only national universal dependable funding, and now that's a little bit uh, vulnerable, uh, for the last 30 years for planning in every municipality in an urban area has been transportation planning money. Um, and 
it's been only in the last decade and a half that the Department of Transportation started allowing consideration in planning of other amenities like bike trails and walking paths along with, with highways and, and sometimes transit. Um, a number of us have been advocating if the transportation authorization bill, which comes up for renewal um, a couple times a decade, um, and the new one has just uh, been trying to get through Congress for over the last like three years behind now. If that only allowed for, in the planning, consideration of broadband networks along with the transportation network, um, that would make a huge difference, I think, in the willingness of local planners to include it in their, um, in their infrastructure planning. They wouldn't have to give any money for it. They all, all they would need to say is, in the transportation authorization, uh, planning for broadband um, uh, infrastructure networks is an allowable cost in your transportation planning activities. Hmm. Okay. So I, I think. Uh, any other uh, thoughts to add to that? Uh, yeah, if I may. Um, this is uh, Charles Kaler again. It's uh, I'd say, along with with those, is to consider um, local circumstances, and I think that um, there is more than one problem. Um, involved in, in broadband expansion. We tend to think of it as a, um, as a hardware problem. So, you know, is bandwidth available at a given location? And that is a huge dimension of the problem, uh, particularly in, in uh, rural areas or, or smaller jurisdictions. And a big step toward understanding the dimensions of that problem is understanding where broadband is in fact available. And I think the national broadband map has been a big step in the direction, uh, in a big step in the right direction toward providing uh, granular local knowledge. Uh, mm -hmm. We could go into, you could probably have an entire show just on the limitations of the national broadband map and, and the flaws in, in the uh, basic design of it. But um, without going into the gory details of that, there is now a red, uh, an available resource to compare um, and to correct uh, your local circumstances with. And I think people leveraging that is, is um, a big step toward understanding the dimensions of the problem and, and where particular points of intervention might be. So if you know that, for example, um, certain areas where there are lots of businesses have no available broadband, that gives you um, an understanding of areas that should be targeted. A, mm -hmm. second, a second problem um, with broadband isn't just the availability or the supply side, it's also demand. If you look at a city like Philadelphia, with which I've become quite familiar in recent years, if you look at the national broadband map, just about the entire city of Philadelphia, at least putatively, has 50 megabits or higher available. Um, and yet, um, by my calculations, roughly 54% of households in, uh, excuse me, in 2009 uh, did not subscribe to broadband services. So you have this problem in cities anyway, where um, typically uh, poorer, non-white, lower educated, and elderly um, enclaves just aren't, they're not tuning in, they're not connecting to the service where it's available. And that's a sort of a second order problem, but it's I think a growing one in, in urban centers. Do um, this may be off the, the I don't know the beaten path or the radar screen of planners, but there are a number of folks in the 
broadband policy circles that point to a lack of competition as being a source of the problem. You know, if you go to a small area, you only have one choice. You know, you have one cable company or you have one telecom company. And this doesn't really allow for competition that would then reduce prices and what have you. Do, do city planners, is that even something that they can, I don't know, comment on, have any sway over, any kind of policies that might affect that situation? Uh, well, the la- you know, that that is an issue because when you have a lack of competition, then, um, or, you know, when you introduce competition, um, you know, prices tend to go down. But then, then you have, in, in a smaller area, um, there's just not the profit margin to have, you know, two providers in there. And so it's an issue of, um, you know, not only, um, you know, competition, um, you know, among providers to, you know, maybe introduce lower pricing. You know, that's that's one part of it. And then if, if it's just not cost-effective, you need to look at other policies. You know, can we offer incentives? Are there partnerships, um, you know, with anchor institutions that we could subsidize, you know, provision of services there and, you know, maybe buy down the cost? So there are some policies that planners can do. But competition is also important from the perspective of, um, you know, different types of technology, uh, whether it's wireless, cable, fiber, you know, serve different purposes. So you need to have a a range of, um, you know, services available um, so that you can take, you know, not everything can be wireless, uh, but you do need mobile services for public safety reasons. Um, You know, more and more people are uh, relying on tablets. So, So there's competition, you know, in not only having multiple providers of the same service, but having different types of providers to serve needs, um, and also to provide, um, you know, redundancy and backup systems. A lot of times the issue of competition is you only have, you know, one network serving the area, and if that network goes down, you have no backup network. So the, so the lack of competition is, you know, a, not only a price issue, but it's also a redundancy issue, and it's also, you know, are we providing the range of services that our community needs, um, you know, to um, you know attract businesses and deliver services to its populace, and and there are things and, and things that smaller communities can do, and um, and it's I think Ron hit on it earlier. It's typically going to be partnerships and um, you know and just being innovative in in how you address you know how a community might address that. Mm-hmm. I might just jump in and add that this is a good example, maybe you know, the division of labor that that planners in their analysis. And mapping and assessment might identify the need, but it's probably going to be the economic development organization and entity that has the tools um, to, uh, to try to incentive, uh, create incentives uh, for uh, to attract uh, new providers. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, so Planners can identify the problem, but it'll probably be others that, uh, in this particular case, solve it. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So we've got about uh, 10 minutes or so left. Uh, what I want to go into is, you know, from the work that you've done, what are some of the cities, counties, all of the above, who you find are doing good, effective broadband planning? Well, Ron, you're there in Chattanooga. Um, you know, they're, well, that's they're interesting, the... uh, putting me on the hot seat. Uh, yeah. I already <laughs> mentioned that, that, that Kate... Um, you probably able to get out Kate, of town uh, now, so... 
Kate, Kate, I'm splitting my time between the University of uh, Georgia and Athens and, and the sustainability program here in uh, Chattanooga. And um, um, it's interesting, the, the energy company, uh, power company, power utility that uh, has, has become the, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the triple package uh, provider of, of uh, television, phone, and, uh, and Internet is, uh, is municipally owned. Um, I haven't uh, looked at it and talked to people specifically, but I think it's a safe assumption that they were able to develop that public uh, capability because of the, the TVA resources over the last 60 years. Um, and they, um, just as an enlightened uh, publicly owned utility company, uh, set the goal of doing one gig to the door, which um, I um, now am you know, a, a, a user of. That's uh, quite wonderful. But um, um, a good example, and we came up with these over and over in our case studies, uh, someplace doing good planning and uh, some the uh, same place doing good economic development and good um, uh, uh, Infrastructure uh, uh, services uh, weren't necessarily coordinated. Uh, so my bottom line is, with the great um, the model here in Chattanooga, you will not find a a broadband um, technology component in in our plan. But uh, one of the things I'm advocating is that we haven't done a comprehensive plan update in a number of years, and I certainly uh, will uh, try to see that. Uh, and help it uh, be there when we when we uh, do our, our new comp plan update. Um, mm -hmm. One of the one of the rural areas, and, and um, I know Charles has others in Kentucky, uh, but uh, the Pioneer Valley uh, regional region in, um, in in Western Massachusetts uh, has not only done good planning; it looked at the gaps and be became a um, a provider to fill those gaps to some of the remote rural areas. So. Um, mm -hmm. That, that we've got a good uh, big city, Portland, um, and then from my experience, a, a really um, uh, creative uh, small rural community in, in the Pioneer Valley area. Yeah, so, I think so Portland and Pioneer Valley are both in Oregon? No, Pioneer Valley is western Massachusetts. Oh, sorry, okay. And, and some... some uh, places that we mentioned in the PAS report, I think we uh, not only um, Portland and Chattanooga, but I believe we highlighted Dublin, Ohio, um, Humboldt County, California has a good example of a comprehensive plan element. Um, uh, Charlie worked with some counties in Kentucky. Um, IBM, I think it was, has a, an initiative, an intelligent cities initiative, and they're working with communities. Um, so we do mention, a, you know, a number of, you know, highlight um, some in the um, PAS report. And when you talk about broadband planning, I mean, there there are communities that have built municipal-owned networks. Um, most of the time they tend to be affiliated with uh, a municipal electrical, um, you know, power association. Um, and then there's some that have, um, you know, been form partnerships with providers um, and um, some that have an offer and incentive. So there's different types of planning activity, and we try to, um, I think, Charlie, in, in the chapter you wrote, sort of identify the different, um, you know, ways that communities can get involved. Mm -hmm. Right, and, you know, I think one thing learning uh, or taking a look at uh, planning and which which cities have been doing it well or which which areas have been doing it well 
one observation, uh, and I'm certainly not the first one to make it, uh, is that there seems to be a fairly strong correlation between um, delivering fiber to the premises and um, living in a city that was served by a municipal uh, electrical co-op. So one, uh, earlier we were talking about antecedent infrastructures, and it is certainly true that, that uh, the rural electrification push in the 20s and 30s, um, we, we see the effects of that. These organizations were fairly well positioned and had the benefit of, of some funding to, to um, morph into not just electrical providers, but also broadband providers. So a, a lot of the best examples we see uh, come from that. Another one we didn't mention is uh, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, which um, has a, uh, an ongoing fiber project that comes out of the uh, um, municipal electrical organization. Mm -hmm. The uh, other example that, that I, or one of the other examples that we developed in, in the broadband planning section of, of the report is um, out of uh, Western Kentucky, the, the Green River Area Development District, which is a, a regional planning organization. And several different actors came into play there, but uh, this is a seven-county region that's fairly large. I want to say it's about the size of Connecticut, maybe a little smaller. Um, but anyway, it's a substantial region that was uh, largely underserved um, as of the, let's say 2007, is when the project began. And um, the organization uh, spearheaded an effort to build a, a regional wireless network. Um, and it served as a model for quite a few other efforts. And it began with looking at where broadband was available, so mapping existing um, uh, service areas and, and using that to identify gaps in service and identify populations that weren't well served and then um, locate vertical assets, locate places that could serve as wireless uh, or structures that could support uh, wireless technologies. And then uh, the region built a 29 tower, I think it's 29, um, tower uh, network that now um, the plan was to have it reach 92 or 93% of the population in the county. Um, I think that has largely been realized. So those are a couple examples of um, some really interesting and innovative planning going on. And I should mention that the Green River Project is, is uh, um, funded by the regional planning organization, but the, um, the uh, local electrical cooperative is, is running um, the uh, operation now. So it's, it's fair to call it a, a true public-private uh, venture. So we've got about five minutes left. What I'd like to do is go around <coughs> uh, the group and ask, you know, in your mind, you know, looking at the, the successful planning communities, what's the one thread that kind of ties through those communities? And we can start uh, with uh, Ron. We'll start with you. Gee, uh, okay. Um, there's so many. Uh, I... Um, I'll, I'll one of the things we haven't mentioned, and I've seen this my whole career, and in fact just wrote a paper on it uh, in relationship to some other planning concerns, and that's leadership. I think um, the places that are, are doing it well have um, uh, and the leadership can come from all sectors, uh, the community, from business leadership, from elected officials, um, from um, you know planning leaders. Uh, there needs to be... Uh, people and that institutional civic capacity that, that is looking to the future, is trying to plan for the future, and has a very um, a broad understanding and creative um, 
perspective on on what's going to be important and not just what's uh, what the standard operating procedure has been in the past. So, um, you know, a lot of places that are doing it different ways and uh, through different sectors, but um, but somehow the ones that are creative and doing other things well, planning for um, being green, planning for energy efficiency, uh, planning for reducing their waste stream, um, a lot of those other um, 21st century concerns, um, then quite naturally look at the broadband and communication technology and bring that into the public realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate, you got a minute. What's, what's, what's the main thread that you see running through these successes? Yeah, actually, I was going to, um, similar to Ron's, is, is say, you know, there's usually a champion or, you know, some somebody who's leading it, who's, who's you know, got the vision for it. Um, but, you know, I would add to that is, um, you know, for successful broadband planning efforts, um, it's not just enough to have the leadership, because I have, and, and we can all think of cases where somebody had the vision and they sort of jumped in feet first and didn't do the proper analysis, you know, and, and um groundwork to make sure that it was successful. So along with the leadership, um, you know, they really do need to bring the stakeholders to the table and and do, um, you know, a, a, a good plan that looks at, you know, what the returns um, on investments are, um, you know, what the potential risks are, and actually plan for that. So you have to have the leadership, but you, you, you can't just jump in, um, you know, feet first. You have to, um, you know, be thorough, um, you know, partnerships. Um, I'm a big advocate of that, so looking to do partnerships is important, um, you know. But also doing your homework when you're when you're starting to plan for these projects. Excellent. And uh, Charles, finishing up in a minute. What you got? What, what's the said? Well, I'd, I'd say I don't want to flog a, a dead horse, but uh, leadership and coalition building seem to be the real defining um, characteristics of successful areas. It's, it's um, the areas that have not just leadership uh, uh, in, say, uh, the public sector, say an advocate who's um, uh, a mayor or a county manager or something like that. It's also um, areas that have leadership in multiple different stakeholder groups. So when you have coalitions developing, that seems to be a real mark of success. So one organization going it alone can't do it by itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this has been uh, a very good uh, discussion, and um, I w- one, you know, as I mentioned at the outset, dear to my heart, which is, you know, effective planning. Uh, you know, it's good to understand the the city planner role because I will say that in all of my previous writings and so forth, I haven't uh, looked at that group nearly enough, and they obviously have a key role to play here. So. As we as we go forward, I will definitely come back to you know your group, the, the planners, and talk more about them because they are key. Uh, so I want to thank you all three of you for, for being here. And uh, as as time goes on, you know we may have you come back and talk some more about uh, you know the city planner's role and and how to keep doing that effective planning. Um, I also want to thank our audience uh, before this escapes from me here. Uh, to our audience, obviously, you're always checking in. Uh, we appreciate your support and the support of Hiawatha Broadband Communications, which is a sponsor of um, of our show. And we should all check in tomorrow because I'll have two of the co-chairs of the um, planning group for Kansas City because Google is supposed to be making a big announcement there. 
So hopefully these guys will dovetail with what everything that you, our panel, has talked about today, and we're going to have a, definitely an awesome close to this discussion on planning. So thank you, everyone. Have a great day. We'll talk again soon.